Grace, mercy, and peace are yours. From God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. One of the greatest things about the idea he gets us is we know who the us is. It's, it's you, it's me, and, and we know who the he is. It's Jesus. The writer to the Hebrews explained in the lesson we read earlier that Jesus was tempted in every way just as we are. He's experienced life. Jesus put on human skin. But his purpose wasn't just to see what life was like for you and me on this earth. His purpose was much higher, a purpose to bring us life eternal through him. So today, we'll see that Jesus understands when we feel like nobody understands. When we feel all alone, when we feel like nobody could possibly know what we're going through, it's Jesus who understands that loneliness because he too experienced it. They say that a picture paints a thousand words. And so I found this picture this week and it did lead me as I stared at it to think a lot about what was going on. Why the empty chair next to the man sitting on the beach looking at the sunset or sunrise, depending on which direction he's facing? Maybe he's just hoping that somebody will come and join him. Maybe he's looking for that significant other in his life and just wants to see what it feels like to have a chair sitting next to him. Or is it possible? that he suffered loss in his life, that that was a chair that somebody close to him, his spouse, might have used many times and he just can't get himself past the idea that, that there she would have sat. I don't know. The, the picture didn't come with a reason for why it was taken. But I know that you understand loneliness. I know that you understand the idea that, that nobody really quite can fully grasp what you are facing in your life, what you're going through. And I think back to not too many years ago when a pandemic kind of forced us into our homes and then we learned words like social distancing and things like that and, and we kept, our, 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 kept other people away from us and maybe that caused some of the loneliness that people experience today. But I think you also know that, that it was called an epidemic long before the coronavirus ever showed up. People were experiencing loneliness in this life, and does that boggle your mind a little bit? We're more connected with people than we've ever been in history. With a touch of a button, I can speak with somebody halfway around the world via Skype or FaceTime or Zoom, and yet, though we are so connected to one another, we're more disconnected than we've ever been. Could it be simply because we don't have those meaningful face-to-face -face conversations? We don't build relationships with people that sometimes that loneliness visits? Maybe. Here's what I can assure you today. Your Savior Jesus, he experienced that loneliness too. He knew exactly what it was like and so he's the one who always understands what you're going through. And as we think about that today, we'll answer the question, was Jesus ever lonely? And, and we'll see that he absolutely was. He was rejected by people on more than one occasion. And yet he never let that change what he came to this earth to do. He never let it push him away from his mission. And that mission was to save. And so we'll see again that the one who understands us, the one who understands our loneliness, he's the one who provides eternal life. We're starting in verse 66 of chapter 6, and, and that's always a little bit dangerous because I'll give you some of the context in just a second. But what we start with is 
people leaving Jesus. Here's how John reports it. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And so maybe we just have to ask the question, what? What happened? What happened that people were leaving Jesus, deciding that it was no longer worth following him? Well, let me take you back to the start of chapter 6. It begins with a miracle. And it's a miracle that I'm going to guess that you're very familiar with because it's the only miracle in the Bible that's recorded in every single one of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and the Gospel of John. It is the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. You probably remember that miracle. Maybe you even remember some of the details. Matthew's Gospel tells us it was 5,000 men, not counting the women and the children. And then we find out from all of the Gospels that it was a lunch of a small boy that was used to feed the 5,000. John's gospel tells us it was five small barley loaves and two fish that Jesus used to feed the multitude. And then do you remember this detail? He had the disciples go and pick up after the, the people, after the leftovers, and they filled 12 baskets full of leftovers. They had more when they finished than they had at the start. John's gospel is unique, though, in, in getting us to what happened next. The people wanted to make Jesus king by force if necessary. They looked at Jesus and said, look at what this guy can do. He can feed us miraculously. He can give us everything that we need. He should be our king. And Jesus had to kind of withdraw, slip through the crowd. We're told his disciples got into a boat and, and set sail for the other shore on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, and then Jesus came walking out to them on the water that evening, at night. All of a sudden, Jesus and the disciples are on the other side of the lake. And the people are wondering what happened because they watched the disciples get into the boat, but they knew Jesus hadn't. And all of a sudden, he's on the other side of the lake. And so what Jesus does is he uses this as, a, this as, as an opportunity an opportunity to teach an important lesson. It's one of Jesus' great I am statements that are found in Scripture, particularly in the Gospel of John. Jesus tells his followers, I am the bread of life. He compares himself to the manna that came from heaven that the people of Israel ate when they were wandering in the wilderness. But Jesus says, I'm so much more. Because the people who ate the manna had to eat every day. And they still died. But if you eat this bread, Jesus, the bread of life, you will live forever. And here's where the hard teaching came in. Jesus actually said to his followers this, You must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And when you do, you will have eternal life. Jesus was not talking about the Lord's Supper. That had not been instituted yet. He wasn't talking about his body and blood and the bread and wine, although as we read this account, if it makes you think of that, that's perfectly fine. Jesus was simply saying, to truly understand my purpose on this earth, there's nothing more important than what I bring spiritually. Not the physical gifts that you could get from me, but by believing in me, Jesus said, that's how you have eternal life. This is a hard teaching, the people said. And it was from that point forward that many turned their backs on him. I love the word in the original language because it literally means turn back to a former way of life. As I was reading that this week, I couldn't help but think of Lot's wife. 
Do you remember that story from Genesis 18 and 19 when the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed, but the angel helped Lot and his wife and his two daughters out of the city? It was Lot's wife who couldn't quite live without thinking about what was back there, and she turned and became a pillar of salt. These are people who said, we thought Jesus could give us something. We thought he was going to be the one that was the king who fed us, who, who defeated all of our enemies, who took care of those Romans who are in control of the world. And, and then Jesus said, but that's not why I came. I came so that you can eat my flesh. And people didn't like to hear that. They left him because the reason that they had followed him to begin with was no longer valid. They weren't getting from Jesus what they thought they wanted what they thought he was going to give them. Their expectations were shattered. Hold on to that thought for a moment because we can relate to that, can't we? I know that if you pay attention to any kind of news, we are in an election year again. Some people say it doesn't seem like we ever stop being in an election year. It seems like there's things that get reported all the time. But there are these charts that are listed or sometimes they just give the percentage of approval ratings for those who are running for office. How do people feel about them? And they take polls and say, yep, this, this person is gaining popularity. He's more approved now than he was before. She's less approved now than she was before. Whatever it is, we get these ratings, right? Maybe we should be thankful that there wasn't an approval rating for Jesus in John chapter 6. Because Jesus' approval rating is probably getting near the bottom. All of a sudden, people didn't want what Jesus was bringing. They weren't interested in the spiritual blessings Jesus brought. They, they wanted other things. They wanted him to make their life easier. They wanted him to bring gifts to them for their earthly lives. Do we fall into that trap from time to time? of thinking that, boy, I'm, I'm a Christian. I, I follow Jesus in my life. Shouldn't that make my life easier? Shouldn't I be able to avoid all the troubles? And the, shouldn't God be keeping these things away from me? Except when we read scripture, we know that God never promises that. Instead, he tells us that in this world we'll have trouble. And instead of saying you'll get out of the trouble, he says Jesus has already overcome the world. I, I think about that approval rating of Jesus at this time and, and wonder what that must have felt like to Jesus. It had to, it had to pain him, didn't it? Not because he was looking for popularity, not because he wanted to be the one that everybody followed, but he knew what he brought. He knew that the people who were walking away from him were missing out. They were missing out on the special blessings that Jesus and Jesus alone can bring. That's why Jesus asks the disciples the question that he asks them. Listen to verse 67. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. As we carefully read through the Gospels, you can see that the people who followed Jesus, at least initially, might fall into three different groups. You have the group of Jewish people who followed Jesus because they were interested in sort of keeping an eye on him. These would be some of the chief priests, the teachers of the law, who wanted to make sure that they knew what Jesus was doing, trying to discredit him if they could as not a valid teacher. Then there was seemingly a fairly large group of people that followed Jesus who were interested in what he was bringing. They wanted to see the miracles. They wanted to know if Jesus was maybe perhaps the Messiah, the, the promised one who was going to rule all things for them. And those are many of the ones that left when Jesus said, 
He was here for people to believe in him. And then we have the third group that is introduced here in verse 67. That small group of disciples, those that Jesus himself had chosen, the twelve. And it's to those twelve that Jesus asks this very searching and pointed question. You don't want to leave too, do you? Even in our English translation, it's apparent that Jesus is expecting a no answer. But the Greek makes that very clear with a little article that's put in there that Jesus is expecting his disciples to say, no, we don't want to leave you. But there's a method behind his question. He wants the disciples to analyze what it's going to cost them. You don't want to leave too, do you? You, you don't want to go along with the crowd. Do you, do, do you know what it's going to be like to continue to follow me? Isn't that a temptation for us too? The temptation to go along with the crowd? To kind of minimize our Christian faith in certain circles because we're afraid how people are going to react. We're afraid that, that people are going to judge us falsely or, or incorrectly. It's easy for us, isn't it, to, to try and fit in, to try and hope that, that nobody's going to think badly about us because we follow Jesus. It's never easy, is it? It's never easy when it seems we live in a world that is becoming more and more hostile to the truths of God's word to hold on to those things as a Christian, to say, this is what I stand on. I stand on the word of God and all of the truths that are there when people say, well, that's, that's, that's not the way our world works today. And yes, you might face some judgment, you might face some scorn, you might face some ridicule, and that's a lonely feeling, isn't it? To feel like you're the only one in your circle of friends that really wants to hold on to what the gospel says. And then that temptation comes, doesn't it? You don't want to leave too, do you? That's Jesus' searching question for us too. You don't want to leave too, do you? You don't want to be the ones that join the rest of the crowd and walk away from me, do you? And it got me thinking about, well, I haven't put a picture of my dog up for a little while, so this is the creature that rules our house. His name is Henry. We affectionately call him the H or the Hen because he's got royal status in our household. He calls the shots. But every day I leave, the same thing happens. He gets up from wherever he's at, he wanders over to me, his ears perk up and his eyes ask me the same question. I know he can't talk, but he asks me the same question. You're not going to leave me again today, are you? You see, my dog seems to have a little bit of separation anxiety. He gets lonely when, at least if dogs can feel lonely, he seems like he's lonely when no one's around and then super excited when we all come back. That's Jesus' question for us, too. You're not going to leave me, are you? Only Jesus isn't concerned about his own loneliness. He's concerned about you. Jesus isn't worried about popularity or having the fastest-growing religion that's ever been. What Jesus wants is for you. He wants you to see the blessings that he has in store for you. Jesus doesn't want you to miss out. By wandering away from him, by thinking it's too hard to be a disciple of Jesus, he says, don't miss out on what I have for you. And that's where Peter's answer is so beautiful. Verse 68 and 69, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Isn't that an amazing confession by Peter? 
the guy who seems to be the spokesman for the disciples, he recognizes, and the disciples do too, the importance that Jesus brings, that it isn't about having everything that we need for this life. The importance that Jesus brings is far more life-changing, far more eternal than anything this life has to offer. And so Peter simply asks a question of Jesus. To whom shall we go? Where else can we find what you alone can bring, Jesus? Where else can we find the words of eternal life? We have come to believe, Peter says. Faith had been planted in those disciples' hearts. The ones that Jesus had chosen and his inner group of followers knew because God gave them that faith that Jesus was something more important than whatever this world can give. And they knew that it was Jesus who gave eternal life. Do you find it amazing that, that Peter could give such a clear and concise and, and so beautiful of a confession? And then when the rubber hit the road, when Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, it was Peter and the disciples who had all said they would never leave Jesus who ran away. And maybe that's a great reminder of why Jesus came. It's amazing that those men... Those men who fled Jesus, who left him all alone in the garden when he was arrested, those are the men who later became the witnesses to give testimony to what Jesus was all about. Because that's the whole reason Jesus came. When you and I have those moments where we shrink back from our faith, when, when we're afraid of what other people might think, when we don't trust that Jesus has our back, Jesus went to the cross for those sins too. That's what his promises mean to you and me. It means that our sins are completely forgiven, that Jesus went to a cross for us. And that's where he suffered the greatest loneliness, isn't it? When he screamed the words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That Jesus suffered for you. You see, he knows loneliness because people deserted him. Even his heavenly father deserved, deserted him. And yet, because he understands that, he knows what you need. No, he might not fix every earthly problem that you and I ever have. He might not bring a companion into our lives that we're longing for. But here's what Jesus says. I will never leave you or forsake you. Jesus reminds us that he is with us always to the very end of the age. He reminds us that as the Savior from sin, he has prepared a place for us with him forever in heaven. And that's a place where we will be not just with our Lord, but with all the saints and angels singing the praises of God for eternity in the perfect joy of heaven. A few takeaways from our sermon today. Number one, Jesus faced the loneliness of rejection. He gets it when we feel alone. Isaiah 53 describes what Jesus felt so perfectly when it says this, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a, a man of sorrows and familiar with pain. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten and afflicted. Number two, Jesus alone provides the gift of eternal life in heaven. In one of his other I am statements in John chapter 14, Jesus says this, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You have the words of eternal life is the way Peter said it. 
Finally, number three, the Savior who died for us promises he is with us always. We heard it in Isaiah chapter 43 earlier. Jesus himself spoke it to his disciples in Matthew 28. And then Hebrews 13, the writer to the Hebrews quotes from Deuteronomy 31 when he says this, God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. You and I are never alone in this life because God promises he is with us always to the very end of the age. I, I'm taking a little risk here. I don't know if any of you are like me, but, but every once in a while I, I can't sleep at night and so I'm up late and I'll turn the TV on and for whatever reason, I'm drawn to late night poker. I don't know if I like the strategy. I'm not sure what it is that draws me into watch poker late at night. But maybe it's just, I, I really want to hear two words. I want to hear somebody say, I'm all in, and push their chips to the middle of the table, confident that they have the best hand and nobody's going to beat them. Isn't that really what we have? Don't we have an all-in hand dealt to us by Jesus himself? given to us by the Savior who understands everything that we go through. He gets loneliness because he faced it. And he promises that he's with us. And then we have a Savior who went all in for us by giving his life for us, by dying on a cross for us, by rising from the dead to guarantee our victory over sin, death, and the devil. And yes, that is the Savior who stands by your side every hour of every day, guiding you to the eternity that you have with him forever. When Jesus asked, you don't want to leave too, do you? Let's answer with Peter. Where can we go? You, Jesus, have the words of eternal life. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding will guard and keep your hearts and minds. In Christ Jesus, amen.